Welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcast Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations, book recommendation episodes, and insider information on all of the newest releases that I have read and endorsed, and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations or to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. In 2023, I am adding a new segment to my Tuesday episodes called Read-Alike Requests. Listeners can submit a book they loved and tell me why they loved it, and I will suggest some similar reads. There is a Google form included in today's show notes. I would love for you to send in a request. If you love to read, I hope you will consider joining my Patreon group to access additional content, including bonus episodes, and early reads and pre-pub author chats. For February, Lauren Willig's new book is one of my selections, as well as a likely story, a debut by Lee Abramson. The link to join that is in the show notes as well. Today, for this behind-the-scenes episode, I am speaking with Christopher Lin, art director at Dutton. A graduate of the School of Visual Arts in New York City, Christopher began his design career at Simon & Schuster in 2008. Currently vice president and art director of Dutton, an imprint of Penguin Random House, He has had the privilege of designing and art directing covers for authors such as Fiona Davis, Riley Sager, Nick Offerman, Jason Mott, Sean Carroll, and Drew Barrymore. I learned so much from this interview, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, so while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. Welcome, Christopher. How are you today? I'm good. Cindy, how are you? I am good as well, and I'm so glad you're here for this behind-the-scenes episode where we're going to talk about your role as an art director. So let's dive in and tell me what it involves being art director at Dutton. So Dutton is an imprint of Penguin Random House, and we publish a wide variety of titles. And actually within Dutton, we have smaller imprints as well, including Tiny Reparations Books, Plume Books, and Caliber. So my role as an art director is to manage the book covers for all of these titles. And on my team, we have six designers. And between our group, we split up each seasonal list so that each designer gets to work on the project they want to work on. So how exactly is your department structured? You're the art director and you have designers that are working with you. How exactly does the workflow work? Our list is, is divided into three seasons. And then each season, we have about 25 titles on our list. So at the beginning of each season, our group kind of gets together and look at all these titles and try to divide it up equally. So each designer usually gets around three or four books to work on for that that chunk of time, which is between three and four months 
And so as the art director, you are overseeing the other designers, but you're also working on some of your own titles? Uh, correct. So um, I try to let my designers pick the projects that they're most passionate about. And then sometimes there are books that are kind of left over or, or perhaps it's a book that was added onto the list that my designers can't take on the load. So um, those are usually the books that I take on. Or if there's someone you've already been working with for a while, you're continuing to design their books. Is that what happens as well? Uh, yeah, correct. So I started this position in 2016. So back when I started, it was just me. So I had to I basically work with all the authors back then. So a lot of the authors that I've worked with since 2016, I've, I've continued that relationship with to this day. Because I know Fiona Davis connected us and her covers are just stunning. And I know her books would not have been left over. So I was assuming she's one of those you started working on several years ago and then have just continued working on. Exactly. So when I first started, Fiona was actually uh, one of the first authors on the list. And her first book with Dutton was The Dollhouse. I read it and just immediately, I mean, first I was very intrigued by the title. I love the title, The Dollhouse. And then when I found out like what it actually was about. And after, especially after reading, I just fell in love with their writing. And uh, it's just been a journey since then with all our covers. Well, I love her covers. And she and I have talked about a number of her books on the podcast. And I love the story that she talks about with the Lions of Fifth Avenue, where you designed the cover with the woman wearing the yellow dress. And then she ended up adding that person into her story. I, I actually didn't know that. You didn't? Oh. <laughs> when we get the draft, it's usually like an early draft. So if there's an addition like that, like unless I pick up the book a year later and read it again, I wouldn't know that. So I, I, didn't, I actually didn't know about that story. <laughs> I thought it was the greatest thing. She said, I just loved that. And so I ended up incorporating somebody. I think it was the character that was already in the story, but she ended up having her wear this yellow dress so that it would match the cover. I thought that was very fun. <laughs> I had no idea until just now. Oh, well, good. I'm happy I can actually teach you something because you're going to be teaching me all sorts of things. So once the books get assigned, what does the process look like from there? It sounds like you do read the book. Can you just give me kind of a step-by-step -step process of how it works? Um, sure. So within each list, we have a set deadline, which is usually the sales conference. That's when the accounts look at our covers and make notes about um, whether we need to change it or not. So that block is usually around four months, I would say, three and a half to four months. So the first step is to break up the titles like week by week, basically. So every week we have a jacket meeting. So I break up with my designers saying like, next week we'll show such and such titles just to make sure that we get everything shown before the our final deadline. And then usually we start with fiction because fiction titles are the ones that we typically have chapters, or if not the whole manuscript for. Um, whereas nonfiction, we usually just have um, like a table of contents or a book proposal to work off of. So fiction, we um, I try to get all my fiction titles in early so that we can build in about two weeks for everyone to, to read their titles. And then maybe another week for me to sit down with the designer and talk about it. Like what are some of the key elements of the book that we want to capture? So one of the designers will design a cover and will meet the deadline you've given them. Everybody comes together, looks at the design, talks about it, gives their input. Um, yes. So my role as an art director is to amplify the designer's vision. 
So if I see an opportunity for the font to be placed a certain way to let the image come through more, like those are some of the notes I point out to my designers. And then we take a look at revisions. And then that's usually about a week just between me and the designer. And then the, and once we get into a spot where it's, where it feels polished, then we show the editors the following week during our, our Jack meeting. It's a meeting with the publishers there and the editor of the book. And that's the first time they see the cover. And the author hasn't been involved at all yet, correct? At the very beginning, um, the editor actually presents a PowerPoint presentation about just like what her idea of the cover might be and what are some of the, the books in this category that what are these books they look like and what we, what, what we want to try to mimic or what we want to try to avoid. And sometimes in this PowerPoint, um, the editor would have had the chance to talk with an author and if the author has a specific idea in mind. That's, that's when the editor would share it as well. Got it. I know authors have talked about making Pinterest boards sometimes or other things like that. So they've communicated at this stage that to their editor who communicates it to you, if that happens at all. Mm-hmm. Pinterest boards are very common. After you have whatever you consider to be the cover ready to go, then what's the next step? It's rarely where, where we just have one cover. We usually show about, um, I try to have my designers do about like 10 variations for each book. Oh, wow. So the next step would be to show these variations to my publishing team. And then basically the publisher kind of narrows it down to one or two that they, they want to pursue. And then they ask the editor, so which one do you like? And then the editor will say, oh, I really like this one. Is it, okay, is it okay for me to share with the author? And then the publisher might say, um, yeah, we can share with the author. But what if, like, but I want to see some different fonts. Can we do some different fonts before you share it? And then, so it might be another week of revisions there before um, the author is presented with what we think the cover should be. So there's a variety of steps along the way. And sometimes you'll go forward, sometimes you'll go back a little bit or make another revision, then keep going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the idea is we want to narrow it down to one cover that our whole team is happy with that we're very excited to show the author. So then the author gets shown the cover, hopefully likes it, maybe has some small detail like change the dress or the car's the wrong style or whatever it is, you get that finalized. What's the next step? Um, the next step on the back end is to make sure, say if we use photography, you make sure we obtain licenses with the photographer to make sure we have rights to use these images. If we use a font that's not in our systems, we might have to license a particular font. And then once all that is cleared, by then the cover will be ready to be shown to the sales team. And that's when they see it for the first time. And, and then they have an opinion about whether we, sh- we can move forward with that cover. You know, that's one of the things I learned when I first began doing all of this. And I had no idea that the sales team has such a large say. I mean, it makes sense. It was just not something I knew and that they can really make or break a cover. So have you found that? I mean, most of the time, is the sales team on board? Have you really had to redo a number of covers? What has that looked like for you? So the sales team is structured by account and by region. So a cover might work for a particular account, say Target, and then the salesperson for, say, the indie bookstore might say, like, oh, this cover won't work for my bookstores. So we take all that feedback and then we bring it back to our publishing team. And then really it's the publisher that makes the call saying, which 
account is this book really going into? So which are the opinions that we really need to listen to? So say if, say if Target wants, is really passionate about this book and they want to buy 30,000 copies, but the salesperson for Target saying they're not liking this image, like, can we change it? So that's when we have a conversation amongst ourselves and say, um, yes, we'll, we'll change it. And then it's the editor's job to let the author know. Like the author might have loved that cover, but the ultimate goal is to have, have the book be as successful as possible. So the editor communicates to the author that this account really wants us to go in a different direction with the cover. So we'll be showing you another round if that's okay. Well, that makes sense. And I hadn't really thought about the sales department being made up of a number of accounts. And if Barnes & Noble or Target or some other large entity says, we're going to buy all of these books, I guess you really do have to respect what they're asking for. Exactly. And then it's important to listen to the salespeople because they know their clients best. They work with them on a day-to-day basis. So they know what they're looking for. And what's worked well for them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, what about when you're designing a cover for an author like Fiona, who already has a number of books? Do you have your designers or do you, when you're personally working on it, look closely at their prior covers or do you take each new book as its own entity? So with an author like Fiona, who writes a book a year or a book every 18 months, my job as an art director is to treat her books as a brand. So with each design, I'm thinking about how this, how this cover will add to her brand and to broaden her audience with each book. So with The Dollhouse, we kind of established the look of portraying the main character with the setting, because the setting is very important in Fiona's book. So for example, the first book, the lady was placed in the foreground with the Barbizon apartments in the background. So we kind of continued that look across her first couple of books. And in terms of the typography, we don't use the same font for each of her books. And that's because each of her books takes place in a different time period. So I want the typography to evoke the time period, which is why her name is in different fonts across the different books. So you can stand all of her books up together and they coordinate, but they're not matching. Mm -hmm. We just want to attract the reader that are drawn to the story. And we don't want to alienate a reader that maybe hasn't read Um, one of Fiona's books and feel like they can't jump in. So we want every book to feel unique and accessible to the reader. Have you started working on her Radio City Music Hall one yet? Oh, yeah, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm dying to see the cover. I was thinking about it yesterday for some reason. And I'm like, I can't wait to see the cover for her new book. Yeah, every every list, I'm so, I'm always like wondering what Fiona is going to be writing about next. And when I found out that it was going to be Radio City, I was so excited because um, I work in New York City and I pass by it every day. So it was just so exciting to be to capture the spirit, especially around now, Christmas time, that energy around that, that building. I really wanted to capture. So it was, it was really fun. It was a especially fun one to work on. I bet so. That's neat that you walk by it every day. My daughter goes to college in New York City, so I'm up there a fair amount, and I always try to get it over into that area because I love Radio City Music Hall, and I just cannot wait to read her book. This one's good. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Now I'm jealous. <laughs> we actually did do a few covers where we kind of extended the look of her previous books, which is having a woman with the building. So I can't reveal it yet, but with this one, we did something a little different because 
her audience has grown so much over the years. So with this one, we really want to reach as broad an audience as possible. Well, now I really can't (laughs) wait to see it. (laughs) Well, and I focus on covers a lot. I mean, that's a conversation I have in almost every interview. And I have been so fascinated with this whole women facing away with historical fiction as I was just making a list of most anticipated historical fiction for 2023 in kind of the first five months, I was so pleased to see that there's very little of that and there's a wide range of historical fiction covers. So it does seem like that maybe it's kind of blown open a little bit and there's going to be a variety of different things. Now, Fiona doesn't ever have the woman facing away, so that's not related to her covers. But, you know, it was something you were seeing in cover after cover after cover. And 2023 doesn't look like that so far. Well, that's good to hear. So it these kind of things come in waves and cycles. So when a genre is really working, the salespeople want to saturate that market as much as possible. And that's in those years, they tend to want to want the covers to look a particular way. But once the market gets saturated and books start looking the same, then those in those years, the salespeople tends to shift the covers to look a little different than what's on the table already. Well, and I think that makes sense because I think the same thing happens with genres and, you know, World War II stories are all the rage or vampire stories are all the rage or whatever it is. I mean, I think that's natural that then you see a lot of that. But after a while, you just think, oh, it'd be really nice to be able to see something a little different and not feel like everyone that I picked up had some similar vibe to it. But instead, it's nice to see some of them are completely outside the box, which makes me happy. Yeah, you don't want to pick it up and feel like you've read the book already. You want to be excited to jump in. Yes. And that someone's kind of taken the time to make a really creative cover. And I know sometimes you don't have control over that. The sales team and different people have in mind what they want to do. Ultimately, as long as the author's happy, the sales team is happy, like that gives the book the most chance for success. That's right. That makes perfect sense. Well, what's your favorite part of the book cover design process? Uh, my favorite part is actually just reading the book because it feels, it feels such, like such a privilege to be able to read the book um, at such an early stage. And oftentimes it's not even fully edited yet. So you can really see what the author is trying to do and then what the editor is trying to do with the book. So that's the fun part. And then for me, I love um, typography. So one of my first things is to just research type and find a font that evokes the author's voice and also is beautiful and unique and will stand out um, on the bookshelf. And then once I get the type where I need it to be, it's about playing with the images, image research. Um, sometimes we, we make our own art in-house. A lot of times we research stock photography and then we try to find one that is right for the book. And then once all those ingredients come together, that's, that's how the book cover is born. And I'm sure once you have the stock photo or the graphic or whatever it is you're coming up with, then you're messing around with where the author's name should be, where the title should be, the size, the colors. Yeah, exactly. Say with Fiona's books, I always try to make her name as large as possible because it's it's like a, such a short name, first and last name, so it, it can really sing on a page. So I always make it too big. And then she often tells me to like make her name a little smaller. Oh. <laughs> That's so Fiona, because she's so, so humble. <laughs> and then, so we, we take that note, and then I always, like, scratch my head. I'm like, oh, of course, like, why did, why did I make this mistake again? And then we just, like, reorganize. The, you know, if her name gets smaller, we might have to make the woman bigger or something like that. It has to be fun to juggle those pieces. Yeah. 
yeah, that's building the composition. It's um, it's what I was trained for, and it's it's just so lovely to be applying it to book covers. Something I'm very passionate about. And then the spine as well, because that's part of your job, isn't that right? Uh, yes. So the cover is usually designed a year in advance, and then about three months before the book is actually out in the store, we take that cover and we we build something that's called a mechanical, which is the spine, the back cover, and the front flaps and the back flaps if it's a hardcover, and identifies what elements there are to play with to apply to the spine and the back cover. The main thing about the flaps is the, the editor gives us the copy. So our role is to make the copy read and flow as smoothly as possible. And if there's room, then we might apply some some design element to the flaps to make the whole package feel special. It has to be so exciting when you get that final product in your hand. Well, before COVID, we used to get the book shipped to our offices. And that's always the best moment to hold the final book. Well, for me, it's like the first thing I check for is mistakes. Like everything goes because it's such a long process. So I just want to make sure everything wrapped correctly and all the colors are exactly how we intended it to be. But since COVID, we don't get those shipments anymore. So the first time I see the book is usually when the readers get to see it. So I usually, books are usually released on Tuesday. So every Tuesday I go to the store and just check out the books that have released that week. And that's when I get to touch and feel the book and make sure all the color is um, exactly how I wanted it to be. And then if there's an issue, then that's when I let my managing editor know, and then there's a chance to correct it for a future reprint of the jacket. Okay, I was going to ask you that. So if there is a mistake, or the color isn't like you want it, or there's a typo or something, then for the next printing of the book, they correct it. Uh, Yeah, that's correct. Got it. I was wondering if you went to bookstores periodically also just to see what else is out there and what the trends are or what's new and different. Do you do that? Do you wander through bookstores looking at all the other covers? Oh, like at least that's like, that's a majority of my week, basically. Um, I'm, I'm lucky to be in Brooklyn where there's a lot of nice bookstores and it's always so inspiring to walk into a store and see what the booksellers have selected to place on their table and which books are facing out on the shelves. And also, it's such a small community of book designers. It's so interesting to see like what other designers are, what, what fonts they're using, what colors they're using, what, what photographers they're working with. So it's a, it's, a, it's a place to learn, basically, every time I step in. There are so many great bookstores in Brooklyn. When I was up there in September... I went with a friend and we went to like five. We just did a walking tour and there are just so many delightful stores. I just loved it. And I'm sure you get in there and probably try to rearrange a little bit. Like, let's move this one to the front or let's face this one out. Do you ever do that? <laughs> I do, actually. I would too. Um, even even at like um, like a Dwayne Reed, they have their little mass market section. If like one of my mass markets is tucked all the way at the bottom, I would move it up just so people can see it and, and hopefully engage with it. I love that. Yeah, that would be me too. I'd be in every single bookstore saying, excuse me while I rearrange a tiny bit here. <laughs> I'm sure the booksellers hate me because they know they're instructed to build their store in a certain way in terms of the display. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, but that's okay. I'm going to help you out a little bit here. <laughs> well, how many books would you say you design a year then? Yes. Yeah, so there's about, there's three seasons per year. 
And each season is about 25 books. So that makes it about 75 to 80 books I'm in charge of each year. And then we also look at our backlist titles and see if there's an opportunity for a refresh there. Say there's like, say horror is trending around, you know, around this time in the fall. And we, we, we discover like we have, we published these books in like 1990 that could use a new cover so that they look fresh to, to today's market. Then we also do those backlist redesigns as well. Well, and the other thing I bet you do is paperback redesigns. And that's something I feel like that is becoming a lot more common is that a hardback will come out with one cover. And then by the time the paperback comes out, it's got a very different cover. Does that happen a lot at Dutton? 50-50. Okay. So the hardcover reaches a, a certain type of audience. You know, the in our company, we call them the engaged enthusiasts. And, you know, they would buy the book no matter what. They're the ones that go to the bookstore every week and engage with all the books on the table. And then the, with the paperback or the mass market, that's when we really want the audience to be as broad as possible. So if the hardcover image was too specific, that's when we take a look and see what we, like, how can we shift the design so that it can reach a different audience? And when you do that, does the same designer usually work on the book or do you assign it to somebody else to kind of go in a totally different direction? So if we were to redesign a cover for the paperback, um, one of the first things we do is to take a look at the outtakes that we did when we were doing the hardcover. So if we look at the outtakes and there's something that we feel like could be adapted into the paperback, then I would have that designer continue pushing that idea that maybe wasn't as developed as it could be, you know, a year ago when the hardcover was, was released. But if we take a look at the outtakes and it feels like our publishing team really wants a totally fresh voice or complete redirect, then that's when I would assign it to a, a different designer. That makes sense because if you're really trying to go in a different direction, it might be nice to have completely fresh eyes looking at it. Mm-hmm. How about the evolution of digital technology? How has that impacted the art of cover design and the entire process? So when I started 10 years ago, we would just show the book jacket on a board. And today we actually take a look at all our covers on a computer screen so that we can see how the colors would translate on a digital retail site such as Amazon. And not only that, we also show the covers at a reduced thumbnail size so that we can kind of project as a person is scrolling through their phone if that cover would stand out at a smaller scale. So how that translates to our design is, you know, our publisher tends to want the colors to be as bright as possible and for the font to be as legible as possible, as large as possible when there's room, just so that the the buyer that's not in the bookstore browsing, the buyer that's on their phone can, to make sure the book gets noticed by that buyer. And is easily distinguishable that if you are flipping through your phone through Barnes and Noble or whatever it is that I, if I'm looking for Fiona's book or somebody else's and I have an idea what the cover looks like already, I can be like, oh, there it is. Or it's just easy to, to understand what the cover looks like even when it's very little. Yeah, exactly. So back to the redesigning, do you ever get covers where someone else has tried to design it and it's just not working? Uh, yeah, that happens from time to time. Another one of my roles as an art director is to coach my designers through a challenge and I try to push them to 
push through, you know, to listen to the feedback and to really understand what our audience is asking for. Most of the time we get through the challenge, but sometimes it just needs a different take. And at that stage, we would sometimes freelance out the covers to maybe two or three different designers just to get some fresh takes to show at the meeting. Because like sometimes the publisher just needs to see because sometimes they don't know exactly what they're looking for. So sometimes they just need to see like a variation that, that just like a concept that hasn't been explored yet. And often we need to hire like two or three different freelancers to, to achieve that. Kind of flesh that out, have something totally different and new to show, and then decide which direction you want to go. Mm-hmm. Does that happen very often? Yeah, it does. It does actually, because that's how, because every designer has their own sensibility, their style. And the role as the designer is to adapt that sensibility to match the product, which is the, the author's voice, the, the narrative. Um, when we assign the list, I try to match each designer's sensibility to the book. But sometimes for whatever reason, it's just not clicking or it's just not the right fit. And it's not personal. It's just a matter of achieving what's the right feel for that, that book. Absolutely. It may just be that they're going in one direction and that doesn't really seem to be working. And it's not that they did anything wrong. It's just not the vision that maybe the publisher was looking for, the author or the sales team. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes this process, this approval process can be like two or three months. So when you're like stuck in a project for that long, sometimes you get tunnel vision and then you're not able to see the problem from a bird's eye view. So it's very helpful to bring in like another view of perspective at that point. Absolutely, because you've been focused on it for so long and this is your design and this is the way you've gotten it to look. You've made all these choices. And so it's sort of hard to back up and have the bird's eye view again. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite genre to design? I love designing for our horror titles, actually, because there's just so much room to for interpretation and you get to play with like, all these like funky neon colors, you know, it can, it can get really like creative and, and messy, which is why I, I like. I don't really read horror. So now <laughs> I'm going to have to pay a little more attention to the covers because I haven't really, I'm, I'm such a wimp. So I, I would never sleep if I were reading horror, but that does sound like that could be really fun. Yeah. One of our authors, Riley Saker, he's another um, author that I started with back when I started with Dutton. And if you take a look at his co- covers, you can see how we've We've um, developed his looks for the horror audience over the years as well. And I actually do love him. I have read a couple of his books. A couple are too scary. I've not read Final Girls, but I love the one that's set at the camp. And I love the one that's got the horror book wrapped into it, the memoir or whatever. Both of those are great. But he and I have interviewed him a couple of times. He and I have had extensive conversations about his covers and how they started one direction. Now they've gone a different direction. And I love his covers. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I did not realize they were yours. So that's fun to put that together. Well, I know we've talked about Riley and we've talked about Fiona. Are there other projects that you're particularly proud of? Ones that if somebody said, show me your best work, you would hold them up? My first cover that um, I did for Dutton was um, a book called Find Her by Lisa Gardner. And that was I was brought in at a time when Dutton was trying to um, rebrand itself in terms of cover art. They wanted their books to feel fresher and more more suited for today's market. So if you take a look at Lisa Garner's covers before 2016, you can see that they feel a little more 
like the traditional thriller. And with Find Her, I really wanted to experiment and, and see if we can reinvent or redefine what it means for a book to be a thriller. So oftentimes with these more traditional thrillers, the author name is treated like a, like a logo or like a brand or like a stamp. So with Find Her, what I did with her name was I, I kind of broke it up into pieces. I didn't want to feel so constrained by that, that look. So with that cover, I was able to not only have fun with it, but also kind of reestablish what, what a done book should look like. That sounds like that must have been a daunting project, but ultimately very rewarding. Yes, it was uh, many sleepless nights. It took about like at least six to eight months to get it right because it was our first endeavor and it was so important to set the right tone. And I'm so happy of where we ended up ultimately. Well, that's great. What about notoriously difficult authors? I would never ask you to name anyone because that would not be fair. But are there times when you get the list and somebody says, oh, not her. Oh, not him. I don't want that book because it's really hard to work with that author. Does that happen? Oh, not in my group. But when we do get the list, I do identify which authors are debut authors because debut authors haven't gone through this process before. So they might not have the level of trust with our editorial and the art team as some of our, some of our repeat authors have had. So um, debut authors could be a little more like particular because it's their, you know, it's almost like their firstborn child that's, that's, that they're sharing with the world. So they can be a little more particular about how they want their books to, to look like. And there might be more hand-holding in that process the first go-round. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully it goes well. And then by the time the author writes the next book, you know, it gets easier. They know the process will go smoother. Mm -hmm. Are there colors or fonts or images that are prohibited or verboten, ones that you think, I could never use these? So I guess muted colors, you know, small fonts, like things that won't read well on the screen. But there's also things that like, accounts specifically prohibit like we tend to stay away from like weapons like guns knives such and such things like that that makes sense i shouldn't tell this story but i will so i have a literary salon here in houston with my co-founder and we host authors seven or eight times a year we've hosted fiona and one time a local houston author came and brought his book that he had self-published and in his author photo he had a gun. He was holding a gun and he had it like across his chest. <laughs> we were all like, okay, I don't think that's going to be any of our books. So yes, I can see where you have to be careful with the weapons and certainly not in the author photos. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> we were all like, okay, going to pass on that one. Mm-hmm. All right, good. Well, before we wrap up, Christopher, I'd love to hear what you've read that you personally recommend. So the most recent book that I just fell in love with um, was Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. I highly recommend you just pick it up. Um, if you read the flap, it says it's about gamers, so you might feel like it's not for you, but it's just a, a human love story that I think everyone will enjoy and um, relate to. I'm a huge fan of her other books. I have not read that one yet, but I love a variety of her other stories. Yeah, so this is my first time reading her, and after this, I just want to read like all her backlist. So I'm very excited to, you know, to read her, her older titles as well. And they're all very different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
you know, some people kind of write in the same vein, but her stories are really drastically different from each other, I think. Yeah, highly recommend this new one. I I hope you enjoy it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I feel like I learned a ton. I know my listeners will, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Cindy. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. I hope you'll tune in next time. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business, when you need it, from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.